who has the advantage in the trenches this week? Can TCU use this big offensive line that they have um, in a power running game against this Colorado defense? We'll talk about that and more next year on Locked On Horn Frogs. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That's right, Locked On Horn Frogs, uh, your team every day. I'm your host, Stephen Simcox. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. Um, new sponsor, Ticketing App. If you need tickets for TCU football, use Game Time. But subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, I had a goal to get 800, to 800 subscribers before that Colorado game. We've reached that, so we're pushing for 850 now. Um, also, subscribe wherever it is you get podcasts in its audio form, um, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it might be. And, yeah, we're here Monday through Friday throughout the season bringing you mainly TCU football content, obviously, because that is um, what's going on at the moment. And, you know, the the big thing here for TCU and Colorado as we approach on Saturday, we're starting to look at who is the advantage. It's really tough to um, kind of hone in on <clears throat> what Colorado is going to be, who they're going to put out there. I mean, we can make some educated guesses, um, but there's so many new faces you know some of the big names. Obviously, Shadir Sanders is going to be there at, at quarterback. Um, you know Travis Hunter at maybe one of those wide receiver positions, definitely at corner. Uh, Jimmy Horn Jr., the USF transfer, coming over at wide receiver and might be their their lead guy um, into this offseason or coming into the season. A lot of new faces for the Buffaloes. We know that um, what they're going to run with Sean Lewis, and they have really talented skill guys. I mean, a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism. Players that maybe haven't done it consistently at the Power 5 level yet, but um, a lot of guys that can go and can make it happen. Alton McCaskill, the running back from uh, Houston that had 961 yards, I believe, as a freshman um, in the American Conference. It was outstanding. He's coming off an ACL tear, but a really talented player coming over. And so one of the matchups, though, that we look at is is the trenches. And honestly, like trench play, offensive and defensive line play, decide so many football games. Um, it's not the end-all, be-all, but I've said this before when I'm talking about like the TCU defensive line, which has some new faces this year. Um, there's there's no way to scheme um, scheme yourself out of getting whipped up front. Like if if you're not maintaining the line of scrimmage, moving the line of scrimmage in the offensive line, if you're not able to reestablish the line of scrimmage as a defensive line, keep gap integrity, not get hooked, not get blocked out of the picture, and there's not a lot you can do about – uh, what the other team's doing. Like you're just you're going to get beat. It affects every level of the offense and defense. If you can't block, you can't run certain plays, you know, you can't run long developing pass plays, you're not gonna be able to run the football. Um, your quarterback's gonna be running for his life all the time. And if you get blown off the ball as a defensive line, um, your linebackers are gonna have more trouble getting over the top and getting to where they need to go. Um, and your secondary has to come up and try to make plays. And typically if they're doing that, then you're already getting three or four yards to carry. Right. And so there's, there's no way around that. And the TCO line, I, the more that I think about this game and what Kendall Browse likes to do, what he did at Arkansas, where they ran the ball a lot. Sonny Dykes has talked this off season about how much he's learned through his career, about the importance of running the football and this O line specifically is at least, you know, from what they're listed as on the roster, this is a really big line up front. Um, you look from left to right, if it ends up being, 
you know, the guys that we're expecting. Andrew Coker at tackle, 6'7", 315. Brandon Coleman at guard, um, who was playing tackle last year, 6'6", 320. Colton Deary, the transfer from Maryland, playing center, 6'4", 345. Um, Willis Patrick from Jackson State, who obviously knows Deion Sanders really well, 6'4", 355. And then Michael Nichols, um, who played a lot last year before he got hurt, and is expected to be at that other tackle position, 6'5", 315. So this is a big offensive line. And last year, they were really big in the interior. You know, John Lanz will probably rotate in as well. Maybe Garrett Hayes will rotate in as an interior player as well. There are also guys that are over 6 feet tall, over 315 pounds. Um, a lot of size on this O-line. And when I look at the Colorado defensive line, there's been a lot of talk about the size of Colorado just based on, like, some videos that have been circulating around I don't know how much you can actually tell from that. Um, Colorado did a really good job getting defensive line transfers in this offseason. Uh, Jordan Dominic was a stud at Arkansas. Played four seasons at Georgia Tech, I believe, but last year at Arkansas, seven and a half sacks. Leonard Payne in the middle, um, 6'3", 300 pounds from Fresno State. Not, like, great stats coming in, uh, but typically your interior defensive linemen are not going to be making a ton of tackles, getting a lot of sacks. Um, Shane Cokes uh, from Dartmouth. 63280 edge guy had or in, interior guy had three and a half sacks last season um, and then Derek McClendon uh, 64260 um, and he's another transfer player coming off the edge and they have a lot of different players that I, I think will probably rotate in and out um, throughout the game at that D-line spot that have had experience you know Mari McNeil um, the defensive lineman from Tennessee, uh, multiple guys from from Florida State that could make an impact. Um, not from the defensive line, but one name to know too is is Juwan Mitchell, um, the linebacker from Arizona State. He actually got dismissed from the team at Arizona State, but a really late add to what they're doing at Colorado. Don't know how much he's going to play because I'm not sure how um, up on the defense he is and what you know he could do from a snap perspective. Also got a, guy, a couple guys from Old Dominion, Chaz Wallace, um, Devion Harris, edge players. Uh, I mentioned McClendon earlier from Florida State. A, a lot of talent they're bringing in um, from different areas, you know, of of the Power Five level. And the one thing I noticed though is a lot of these guys are pass rushers, right? Um, they're edge guys. They're trying to get to the quarterback, which is, I mean, that's you know, a hugely important thing in college football at any level of football, you want to pressure the quarterback. Um, but what, how do you slow down, you know, good pass rushers? There's two ways to do it as long as football's been around. Run the football well, and then, you know, screen plays, draw plays, delays, trying to get that timing off, trying to make those defenders think before they're just firing off the ball and pinning their ears back and coming in obvious pass rush situations. And so uh, you got a couple running backs that are brand new to the system um, in Trey Sanders and Cam Cook. You also got Imani Bailey, who's going to be your starter for TCU, who did some really nice things in limited action last year. I would be – I wouldn't be surprised if we see a heavy run game against Colorado on Saturday. I think they're going to try to attack the interior of this defensive line and use that size they have up front to try to move the – try to move the football and move the pile. I mean, you, you look at those interior players, Coleman at 320, Deary at 345, Patrick at 355. That's some huge size um, there in the middle. Now, you still have to block. You know, it doesn't mean that you're just going to automatically blow people off the ball. You still have to 
uh, hold on to your blocks. I'm sure Colorado has some different things they're going to try to do to attack that. Um, but I think the power running game is going to be a huge key in this ball game for TCU. They're going to try to run between the tackles early and often. Um, you know, we discussed how they're going to also want to get up the line and play fast and play with, with speed um, and a lot of intensity with this offense. Uh, and, you know, listen, Amani Bailey, like – he doesn't have a ton of experience, but we saw the the speed and explosion that he showed last year. And he did a really good job at Louisiana a few years back, had over 600 yards and a lot of touchdowns. Um, so he's had a whole offseason to work with Anthony Jones, one of the best running back coaches in the nation. Um, Anthony Jones did a great job with you – know, you saw the improvement last season <clears throat> with Kendra Miller going from second running back on that TCU team behind Zach Evans – to a certified NFL draft pick. Um, you saw the improvement from Amari Mercado, who was like a journeyman, um, you know, great, great teammate, experienced player, did some things well, did a lot of the little things at that position that got him on the field, but wasn't, you know, wasn't an explosive back, wasn't someone that you were going to uh, count on week in and week out. And he became a, a great change of pace back and is now in camp with the Cardinals and, and fighting for a roster spot. That doesn't happen. I don't think before Anthony Jones uh, comes over from Memphis and works with these with these running backs. So I'm confident in what he can do with Imani Bailey. Trey Sanders, you know, the five-star talent who was at Alabama, um, had that car accident. We know he's working his way back from injury. I think he is going to be really good in spots for TCU this year as a change of pace back, as a power runner. We saw that, you know, we saw in the spring game that patience that he has to run laterally you know, get between the tackles, find where he needs to go and get those extra yards. Um, that's going to be a huge factor in this ball game. So I expect a, a steady dose of running the football. Um, and I think this O-line has a chance to be really good. They have to go out and do it. And you're replacing <clears throat> some great players. I mean, Steve Avila is now with the Los Angeles Rams. Um, Alan Ali was with the Minnesota Vikings. Wes Harris was a super experienced um, senior who had played a lot of snaps and really it was just a matter of him, <clears throat> excuse me. It was just a matter of him staying healthy and finding, you know, um, his footing and being more consistent. And then John Lands is, is the guy that played a lot of snaps last year who can work in and out. I think this offensive line is going to end up being a strength of this football team along with the inside receivers with the tight ends and uh, the running backs are going to benefit from it. So, Colorado, really good, you know, rushing the passer, at least guys that have proven they can get to the quarterback. And I'm wondering if TCU tries to make them stop the run game, um, and that's going to be a huge part of the offense on Saturday as they get after it and uh, face the Buffaloes in the season opener. Kendall Browse likes to run the football. He likes to use, you know, H-back um, in kind of an offset eye on the shotgun. And uh, I think they're going to try to run right at Colorado and, and see what happens in this game. And then you work off that with the RPO stuff and you use Chandler in the run game as well. The play action passes. All of it starts, though, with being able to run the football effectively. And I feel like TCU's going to be able to do that on Saturday. When we come back, we've heard a lot about Colorado, the talent level, who they're bringing in, who are they bringing in. Um, and we'll also continue our discussion about the trenches. That's all coming up next here on Lockdown Horn Frogs. 
One of our sponsors, uh, one of our new sponsors is Game Time. You see it on the screen there. You can use the promo code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first order. Uh, you know, ticket finding tickets can be overwhelming, especially if it's a last minute deal. And Game Time is here to help you. They have last minute last minute flash sales uh, for tickets. Easy to find tickets. Easy to buy tickets in your area. It's not just for sports, uh, but there are deals for TCU football. That Colorado game. I saw tickets as low as $50. Nickel State, obviously a lot cheaper, as low as like $7. Um, and you can use that promo code Locked On College for $20 off your first order. And they make it really easy. They just send the tickets right to your phone. It's all mobile. It's the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. They have deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Um, get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Uh, download the Game Time app, create an account, and use Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Again, you can use that um, code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Game Time, the easy to use ticketing app, and uh, they're a proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. So, one note about this game. That came down last week. We don't have depth charts yet. I'm, I don't think Colorado's probably going to release one because they have so many new faces. And I imagine that's just gamesmanship on their part, which is fine. That's pretty typical in college football. Um, but TCU might release one uh, today. I'm recording this on Tuesday morning. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's typically when Sonny Dykes is going to talk to the media. So usually when he does that, they have a depth chart. But maybe – they decide to forego it this week since Colorado is not going to release one. On the offensive line, though, um, Tyler Brown, one of the transfers for Colorado, he's been ruled ineligible, so he won't be playing this week. I don't know who's going to start at that uh, guard spot. Um, their line's kind of interesting. Gerard Christian uh, Leichenson, he'll be one of their tackles. He's actually one of the holdovers from the previous team. He's actually one of the guys that's coming back and played last year. Also, Van Wells at center. Um, and then two transfers from Kent State who came over with uh, Sean Lewis, Jack uh, Bailey, and then Savion Washington. Um, and both those guys started a lot of games at Kent State. So that'll be the challenge uh, for Dominic Williams and um, Tymon Mitchell and Paula Wale, uh, Kayla Fox, Rick DeBrew. They're like They'll be going against – that Colorado O-line, but Tyler Brown, one of those guards, will not be eligible. So I'm not sure how they'll uh, kind of rearrange the depth chart um, moving forward, but that's where they are uh, from, you know, a, a O-line perspective coming into the Saturday's game. I also saw this from uh, J.D. Saylor, who's a friend of the show. I was talking about the TCU O-line and just their size. Um, he actually put together a little chart, and he says this is just based on the starting offense and defensive lines of uh, each Big 12 team, but he has TCU as, you know, the biggest team up front, at least from a size perspective, in the Big 12. Uh, average O-line weight is 330. Average D-line weight is 297. Um, behind them is Iowa State and Texas. Uh, Iowa State has an average O-line weight of 323 and D-line weight of 294. Texas at 320 on the O-line and 310 on the D-line. So you'd see with a really size sizable defensive line this year. Um, and again, like it doesn't always mean everything, uh, but this is a big offensive line. And it leads me to believe that I think, you know, a huge part of this offense is going to be running the football downhill and trying to, 
you know, run between the tackles, make things happen, um, and just churn up yards on the ground and then use that hurry-up tempo style um, to run a lot of pass plays off of that and especially use the middle of the field with weapons like Jared Wiley, J.P. Richardson, um, JoJo Earl, and more. Uh, So I I wanted to dive in a little bit more on Colorado and their skill players because one thing that has been – and I I love that Colorado fans are here this week with me. If you've been watching the show – I appreciate it. A lot of you don't think I'm very smart, which I understand. You're passionate about your team. Um, But one thing that I I consistently get in the comments is that I don't understand how talented this Colorado team is. Um, And, I I mean, I feel like I've leveled with folks that this is a completely different group uh, than the 1-11 team that TCU played last year, obviously. TCU has a lot of new faces as well, new quarterback. Chandler Morris has been around for a long time. He's been around in college football for four years. He's been at TCU for three seasons. Um, he's running a very similar system to what he ran in high school with Randy Allen uh, at Highland Park. But nonetheless, yeah, it's going to be, you know, one of his first starts um, in college football. And you're replacing Quentin Johnson. You're replacing Kendra Miller. Like, we can go down the list. I, I really feel good about TCU's wide receiver room. Savion Williams had uh, a lot of big catches for them last season. I like John Paul Richardson and JoJo Earl, the inside receiver transfers that they have. Cordell Russell, the true freshman is super talented. Um, Daylon Wright, the Minnesota transfer, Warren Thompson from Arkansas. They just have a lot of guys who could come in and and be players for them. But there seems to be this belief amongst Colorado fans that the level of talent that Dion brought in has never been seen before in Power 5 football. Um, And he brought in some really talented players. I talked about the defensive linemen. Um, You know, I talked about Alton McCaskill, the running back from Houston. Uh, And so – but – they were specifically talking or some of them were talking about the wide receiver room. And so I wanted to dive in more on that. I I discussed Travis Hunter yesterday, um, who's expected to play some at the wide receiver position. Don't know what his snap count's going to be there because he's also going to be a DB and that's his main position. Um, But yeah, he's a, a weapon that they can definitely use. He's super talented. Now last season he had 10 catches for 183 yards at Jackson state did have four touchdowns. So it seems like, they made a point to target him in the red zone um, and really give him opportunities to score touchdowns, which he did. But I just don't know how much he's actually going to play like at at that position. Um, and so it, I think he'll definitely have an impact, but it's going to be limited just because he's playing both ways. Um, the other receivers that Colorado has, uh, Javion Antonio, and you know he's a, a big player, like. Um, let me get his his numbers here. Stands at 6'4", 225. So this is a big wide receiver. 64 catches for 684 yards and six touchdowns. Did that at Northwestern State. Um, had been at Northwestern State for the past two seasons. So huge frame. Understand why they're excited about a lot of potential um, and had production, but it was at the FCS level and, you know, never had like over 1,000 yards in his career there. So, like, it, I know he dealt with some injuries, I think they're going to use him as someone that can go up and get 50-50 balls. Um, And, like, that's a good pickup by them. Jimmy Horn Jr., the uh, South Florida transfer, who had over 500 yards receiving um, for the Buffs last season. Uh, Xavier Weaver, uh, or the Bulls, excuse me, South Florida's the Bulls. Xavier Weaver, um, one of their guys coming off the bench, who had over 700 yards receiving. Um, the last two seasons at South Florida. So those are two good pickups, like Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn Jr. You know, they had good production um, at 
South Florida, and like it's a good job by Deion Sanders, but I mean, this is not. I just I, there's some disconnect between what I'm seeing and what people are watching. Those are good players. I think they could be really good in in Sean Lewis's system. It's not like they had you know 1,200 yards receiving in a single season though, and it was at the G5 level. I think this is going to be a step up. Like like what am I what am I missing here? These are good receivers, but there there seems to be this belief that TCU has never seen talent like this. I mean TCU has really good corners. Josh Newton, you know, played every game last season as captain. Avery Helm um, played in the SEC for multiple seasons at Florida. Uh, didn't give up a touchdown in his career at Florida. You know, he faced Alabama. He faced Georgia. He faced some of the best receivers in the nation. I, like Jimmy Horn Jr. might beat him a few times. Like they, they're going to be a good test. But, like, I don't think they're going to be overwhelmed by the talent level that Colorado is, is bringing. And if, if I'm missing players, please correct me. I know there's – uh, you know, some backups, Jalen Ellis, who TCU's familiar with, um, good size and at 6'3", but Jalen Ellis fell out of the rotation at Baylor last year. I mean, he was not in – and that wasn't a team that was just super loaded in the wide receiver. I mean, Monterey Baldwin, um, a young player who's a, who's a speedster, he was kind of their main guy. And then, honestly, it was like a couple walk-ons behind him that were getting things done. And so – I like Jalen Ellis. I think he he did some nice things in the Big 12. But, again, he, he wasn't just breaking records. You know, Willie Gaines had a, had a great career at Jackson State and over 1,000 yards receiving last year, I believe. Um, and he's another one of those guys, along with Shooter Sanders, like put up great numbers there. I think they could be really good players. I also feel like it's fair to say we have to see them do it at the Power 5 level. And so this receiver room's good. Like, I think Colorado has good wide receivers. I did see a Colorado writer, which I'm not familiar with his work. His name is Jason Jones. Um, he was very upset about the lack of respect that Colorado was getting. Totally fair. But he said he had a comment that I just wanted to read because this, this was pretty amazing to me. Um, he said he doesn't think JoJo Earl or uh, J.P. Richardson – could make the roster at Colorado or would be um, on the roster at Colorado at the wide receiver position. Like he thinks that's how good these wideouts are. Um, he says, I'm not even going to, when, when talking about the difference between the skill positions at Colorado and TCU, I'm not even going to bother listing this one out. CU goes nine to 10 deep in the wide receiver room. TCU has two receivers that move the needle. He doesn't list those receivers, but he says they have two receivers that move the needle. To take it a step further, I'm not sure J.P. Richardson, Savion Williams, or JoJo Earl could even make the Colorado roster. But, hey, it's hard to replace the best receiver in CU history. The only thing that was right about that was that Quentin Johnston was the best receiver in TCU history, and he is now gone. Um, like, it's not even worth responding to, but the idea that Savion Williams, who started every game for a team that made the national championship last year and, you know, was productive. He wasn't just like a guy that was on the field could not make the Colorado roster along with JoJo Earl, who, uh, you know, didn't play a ton, but was on the field at Alabama and JP Richardson, who was one of Oklahoma state's best receivers last year, that they could not make the roster because of uh, two South Florida transfers and Jalen Ellis is kind of insane, but that's neither here nor there. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll wrap things up here on Lockdown Horn Frogs. 
A couple of things to promote here. Um, Locked On is doing a live college football show every Friday, starting this Friday. College football season is here, and this season Locked On is kicking up their coverage. Each Friday, Locked On will go live from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern time on every Locked On College YouTube channel. Locked On College Football Live will cover the college football playoff implications, rivalry games, and go in-depth um, only like Locked On can. Again, that's 11 a.m to 1 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're in the central time zone, like a lot of us are here in Texas, um, that's going to be 10 to noon. It's live on every channel. I don't, I'm not going to be a part of it this week. I think maybe some of my conversation with Kevin Borba, I'm going to do a crossover um, with the locked on buffs host on Thursday. So some of that will be there, but if you want to watch a live college football show every Friday from the Lockdown Network. You can do that from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, and it'll premiere on Lockdown Horn Frogs and every Lockdown College channel. So if you're subscribed to any of them, you should see it on your YouTube feed um, when you pull it up. So that'll be fun, and yeah, I'm excited to see you know how they handle that, and hopefully they talk a lot about TCU because TCU is winning games and they're successful. I'll have an episode um, on Thursday with Kevin Borba from Lockdown Buffs. Uh, who is the the source for Colorado, and we'll talk about this game. I'm excited to talk to him. I have a lot of questions just based on what people have been telling me here um, about Colorado and who they are, and, yeah, I want to know more about just uh, what the mindset is for this team going into the first game in the Coach Prime era. Shadour Sanders, you know, coming in at quarterback after a really good career at Jackson State, um, some Good skill players, I think really talented skill players have a lot of speed. I don't quite think they're the you know generational talents that some Colorado fans believe. But, hey, the great thing about this is we're going to find out on Saturday. We've talked a lot about it for months. And on both sides, people are passionate, people are confident, people feel like they you know have the team that's going to get it done. And now we'll get to see. We'll get to see what it looks like on Saturday when these two schools face off. And realignment news, still no movement from the ACC as far as uh, Stanford and Cal and SMU. That is still going on. I think they were supposed to have a vote last night or uh, Tuesday night, that is, and that got canceled. Um, And so we'll see kind of where they go from here. But feels like it's kind of trending towards that being the option. The Big 12 apparently is not involved. There were rumors that maybe the Big 12 had reached out to the four teams left over in the Pac-12, which are Stanford, Cal, um, Oregon State, and Washington State. But uh, apparently that wasn't true. According to Dennis Dodd and others, there hasn't been conversations between those schools and Brett Yormark. I think Oregon State and Washington State would be fun. Um, you know, they're kind of smaller schools, passionate fan bases, programs that have been good at times. Uh, and I'm not – like Cal and Stanford would be fine. If they want to come on, that's fine. But Cal and Stanford seem like – they have kind of an elitist mindset and they don't really want to be a part of the big 12. And so they don't have to be obviously, you know, that's the great thing about this is that um, they can, they can stay where they are. Well, I guess they really can't because their PAC 12 is, is dissolving, but they can go to the ACC. Maybe they'll end up merging with the mountain West and American conference, even though it doesn't seem like there's much momentum for that. It feels like Stanford and Cal are going to end up in the ACC because there's really nowhere else for them to go. And then I don't know what happens to Washington State and Oregon State. If the Big 12 wanted to pursue those teams, I think that'd be awesome. Um, But I'm not sure what their next move is. They truly are on an island. I feel for those fans. I mean, I know, like, 
yes, the Pac-12 was very arrogant about their position, um, about how much, you know, money they could command and those kind of things. But the fans are really the ones that uh, are taking the brunt of the situation because they were part of the power conference and and now they're not. And that's unfortunate, but we'll have more uh, tomorrow with Kevin Borba. And then we'll close out things on Friday um, and have predictions and everything else. And Colorado fans, thanks for, I mean, thanks for listening and watching the show. I appreciate your your commentary. I'm going to respond to it, and you can respond to it again and call me stupid, and we'll just keep doing that all week. I mean, I'm fine with that. That's the beauty of college football. Um, we'll have more tomorrow here on Lockdown Horn Frogs.